Guys, I'm lucky to uh, Fox Audi, Fox Headquarters.com. Foxheadquarters.com, yeah. Dot com. What up, everybody? Welcome. And we're basic guests today. It's Tim Stafford, the co host. Yep, Tim Stafford is your special guest. Today. guest. Yep, and, and co host. And, and co host. And who else? And basic guest is Dan Mike. And Dead Mike, and yep. And we're from Franklin, Tennessee, absolutely. And we're so and how about. How this about, has turned into Seth's podcast, and we're the special guests. As it should. I think everyone's <laughs> right. recognizing who Welcome the true to Seth star Cast, is. Everybody. Um, and, and Seth Erie, how are you today, son? Um, I'm good. You're good. Yeah. Did you just help mama with something? Um, yeah, sticks. Well, yeah, sticks. We were picking up some sticks. Yeah. Yeah, well done. Well yeah, done. How's your, how's your day going so far? My day is good. Your day is good? Yeah. I like that. We don't have school today, right? My life is good. And your life is good? Your life yeah. is good. Wow. Nice. Your life is good. That's great. Yeah. We've discovered. We, so Yeah. We, what do they have was in the Bible? Well, yeah. But I got to tell them. I got to tell them about no, your big shift. No, about Nate, Hannah, Hannah, and, and Mr. Israel. Nate, Hannah, Justina, and Judah, who is Hannah's boyfriend. Um oh. But we got a, we got big news because for years, for years, years. Um, Chick Fil A has been number one in, in Seth's heart for food. Oh, but then, but then, yes, we have big news. There is now a competitor, and what's the name of it? Zaxby's. Zaxby's, which what I never—it's uh, another sort of chicken place down in the south. Mm-hmm. And Seth Thomas had some chicken nuggets. And and fries and ranch from Zaxby's and it's a toss up now. It is a toss up. You don't understand. Chick Fil A has dominated, dominated over every other possible means of receiving food, and now there's Zaxby's. Um, Do you guys or, have canes? Uh, in Columbus, we had canes and loved it. We just got one here. Oh yeah, it's. I good. love a games. Yeah, you love canes too. But what's your favorite right now? What would you say? Is it Chick-fil-A or Zaxby's? Zaxby's. Oh, my. You see, oh, that, that is such, ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, that is such a titanic <laughs> shift. I don't, even, I don't even know how to describe how big a deal this is. Right? It would, be, it would be like Billy Graham becoming agnostic or something. I mean, it would just be, it would be earth shattering. <laughs> this is such a big deal. So, um, so Chick Fil A, we want to publicly apologize. Chick Fil A really was the Billy Graham of uh, fried chicken. <laughs> so, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're recording this on the very strange day they call Good Friday, and um, and so Seth is home from school today, which we love, and is helping with sticks. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It's a wonderful thing. Sticks Timothy, don't move themselves. They're not going to move themselves. Timothy Stafford, how are you doing, my friend? How's your week been? My week's been great. It's been busy. You and I were just chatting. Everybody will listen to this after Easter Sunday, but we're both teaching on Easter Sunday. Yep. That's a lot. It's a lot to parse through. Yeah, we got we had, we were doing some parsing about uh, some parsing. Yes. Yes, Sethy. What here goes what? <laughs> 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, so we've got, I've gotten a couple, couple pieces of feedback on the feedback on the feedback that I want to wow. highlight real quick before we get into our uh, little content today. Um, this is from uh, a guy who said, feedback to the feedback from a B-side. And this was regarding the, the Bridget Eileen Rivera conversation. And then um, some pushback we got. We read, he said, just a hello, Mike and Tim, just some quick or maybe not so quick feedback to the feedback. I thought you guys did a great job with the interview. I wouldn't expect you to be able to fully empathize with what it is like without the lived experience. It's hard to know what it is like to get in fights in middle school from being picked on for being gay or constantly picking the right intonation of voice for fear of sounding gay. Yeah, I can't even imagine mm. how horrible that is. I think these experiences are hard to empathize with. The best one can do is to say, I see you and I hear you and I love you. I feel like it's hard to empathize without lived experience. Um, it is like to say that I, I could fully emphasize with how African Ameri the African American community has been harmed by America. I, I can do it in theory. I just don't know what it's like. Totally. Um, the best thing I can do for another person is to listen. He said, with that said, I, I too was confused about the book. Uh, with one caveat, I haven't read it, although I've listened to Gombas mention it and listened to your interview. I was confused that she seemed to take more of an A-side position, yet being a B-side person. Now, an a, so side A and side B are ways of designating um, among gay Christians their view on sexuality. So side A Christians are Christians who um, believe in the sanctity of, of gay marriage and the permission of people to indulge in same-sex genital activity. Side B Christians are Christians who would hold to the traditional se sexual ethic, even though they are gay. And so there is a lot of intramural discussion between these two groups. And so what he was saying, she seems very affirming, but she says she's um, a kind of a side B person. Um, furthermore, I am unsure who this book is for. I don't need a book on how the church community harms me. I know this harm too well, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, and the people that need this book most likely won't read it. The few <laughs> that do already know or on the road, uh, the, the few that do already know are on the road to writing wrongs. Mm. Lastly, it's hard work. There are no easy answers here unless the churches that harm the community radically revise their doctrine then there will be no change otherwise. There is no unity between A-side and B-side. I feel like we just need to point people to Jesus. Uh, I think you did a great job. I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for opening conversation, making me think, even if this doesn't get read, it is getting read, dear emailer. Uh, it helped me get out some thoughts I've been holding on to. So thank you mm -hmm. for that. I yeah. um, And again, I mean, I couldn't agree more with, um, I, I just don't, know at all what it's like um right. we just cannot tim and i cannot fathom what it is that you've been through and what it is that it's been like and how much the church has genuinely caused harm and so i'm just so grateful for people chiming in with um their thoughts on this it's, it's super super helpful um and then we've got kind of our last this is the last email 
about the missions conversation. So this is my friend Amen. Mike. I asked him. <laughs> I, I was I was lamenting the fact that he hadn't emailed back. This we're gonna let him have the last word. All right. So no response. This is the last word, at least for now. <laughs> this on, is the end. This is the end. Um, uh, he said, you know, he, he had mentioned uh, that I had lamented him not writing in. He said, be careful what you wish for. Um, I'm recognizing that I have perhaps not deconstructed as much as you have. When it comes to the cross, the reason for Christ's death and what's at stake in regards to eternity, I do not think we are in the same place. I would be super motivated to erase hell because of the implications that it has on dear ones in my life who have never accepted Christ, but I have not deconstructed the doctrine to the point where I can confidently reject the possibility of running to the lost and just not warning them of the dangers of eternal separation from God. But I... Uh, uh, but I... Um, but I... Yeah, but I blessed opportunity to know God and spend eternity with him. So because eternity is at stake, I cannot so quickly dismiss the need for missionary presence. Again, as Paul wrote, how will they believe in him who they have not heard? But taking hell out of the equation for a minute, I still take issue with devaluing missions. I strongly disagree with your position on this. I recognize that fewer and fewer humans are walking around with a sense of guilt and a burden of sin, and that a four-point outline, some circles, and a prayer may not resonate with their hearts in the way it once did. But while we are having um, a fun and really interesting, and he says parentheses, it's stimulating and challenging for me personally, while we're having a really interesting conversation about theology in American Christianity, there are people around the world who have never heard that God loves them. Never once. These are people, there are people in the Middle East, for example, who have been carrying the burden of law keeping as they serve a capricious and demanding God. It, is it not good news that the love of God is not dependent upon their law keeping? Is it not good news that their salvation is by grace through faith in Christ? Someone tell them already. Did you know that Japan leads the world in suicide every year? How desperate and broken and isolated and helpless do you have to be? Um, and feel, excuse me, to throw yourself in front of a train, and they do this by the thousands year after year. I don't know that four points in some circles can solve the problem for everyone, but it would for some. The gospel is a message of inclusion and not isolation. The gospel is a message of fully being fully known and fully loved. Who will tell these dear people that the hope is found in Jesus? I'm so enjoying these discussions. It's broadening my understanding of the breathtaking beauty of the valuable pearl, the treasure in the field, the kingdom of God, the sin of missing vocation as image bearers, and the consequences of that sin by way of actors that lead to more consequences that are born in the body. You are giving me a much deeper and broader understanding of the breadth and depth of the good news. And though you are not looking at this as a set of propositions, I don't know how to separate the reality of communication without establishing some set of propositions. The gospel, whether it be good news of substitutionary atonement or the good news of best practices or flourishing in the life God intended to us, all of these are a message, maybe not wrapped up in four points in two circles, but it still needs to be proclaimed. Tim, to your point, um, we have long missed the missionary call and practice to dwell in the land and do good. Standing on the street corner with signs and megaphones or showing up in a foreign land and staying in our mission ghetto while writing stories about uh, stories home about our adventures uh, is not a good gospel practice. God has called us to preach the gospel um, 
uh, and to be the gospel. I'm grateful for you both. Your honesty, humility, and willingness to talk through hard stuff is great. I'm blessed by it. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for disagreeing so graciously. <laughs> no, really. I mean, I, I, I love yeah. that's such a great, thoughtful email, and we'll let, we'll let that stand as the last word on this conversation, spurred by Tim's offhand comment, which I love. It's been great to dive into some of this stuff. And speaking, Timothy, missions trips. <laughs> speaking of diving into stuff, Timothy, we yeah. finally, finally are going to be done with the word saved after today. Just yeah, put a fork in us for crying out loud. All right. So let's just get this going. We're going through the four big words that Paul uses in talking about the salvation story and, um, and faith. Uh, grace works and saved and saved has taken us five weeks to get through five episodes <laughs> um, to talk about what it's saved is what saved from right and 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 like our emailer um, man you don't have to buy this and and we're I I don't know Tim, I think Tim has it all secretly figured out and it's just sort of it's you know true. leading me along with breadcrumbs but um <laughs> I'm certainly in process on a lot of this stuff and uh, don't mind at all that people are like, eh, I just don't buy it. Okay, that's great. You don't have to. That's not the point of the, the whole podcast. As we're going on seven years, baby. Woo! Seven years. It's a holy so, number. It's a good number. All right. So let's talk. Let's talk. About saved we said <laughs> saved first is a story of space. Yes. Um, uh, moving from cosmically enslaved space to liberated space. Um, moving from the space dominated by wrath and uh, into the space that's dominated by life, resurrection, spirit. I mean, there are all sorts of ways that it's described. But the good news is also a message about time. So here is uh, how, in the book of Mark, the message of Jesus is summarized. Right? Mark 1, 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So uh, the time has come is a story about time. That's what we're going to focus on today. The kingdom of God has come near, near there is a space word. It's close to you. Like my computer is close to me right now. It's, I'm, it's in close proximity. So the good news is a story about space, right? The nearness of the kingdom. And it's a story about time, that the time has come. The time is now fulfilled. And the response to both of these messages is the idea of to repent and believe the good news. Repent is one of those words that simply means to reorient your life around a new reality. And believe, as we'll see, is a cousin to faith, which has a far more robust understanding, uh, as we'll look at the word down the road, than just simply believing in your heart and accepting Jesus in your heart. Um, so that's kind of I, and I love that. I love, I love that it's a story about time and space, yeah. which means it's a story about everything. 
Right. Um, <laughs> and so let's talk about time for a second. Now, when it says the time has come, there are two Greek words that I'm aware of, there might be more, that reckon time. There is normal time, chronos, um, which is where we get chronograph or whatever, which is just the march of ordinary time. And then there's opportune time, which is kairos. It's the it's unique time. It's special time. It's it's like, like when my wife looked at me when she was pregnant and said, "Honey, it's time." Like that's that's not ordinary time. That's like, oh oh, it's time. Game on. Yeah yeah exactly exactly exactly. It's a it's a it's a unique window of opportunity. And um, and so even in Galatians, you know, where it will say, you know, Paul will say Jesus came at just the right time. I mean, th- th- there are there are there's ordinary time, and then there's the time has come kind of time, mm-hmm. right? So this is a story about the time has come kind of time. And for the Jews, and I love this about the Jewish worldview. Um, history is not meaningless, nor is it cyclical. But history has a telos, an end. It's going somewhere. So the, the Jews of Jesus' day, and I'm not, I'm channeling, of course, others. I'm not an expert in all the Judaisms of the first century. Uh, but I've seen enough of this to, to know, I think, to think this is absolutely the way it is. Um, the the Jews of Jesus' day um, reckoned history into two epochs, into two periods of time, um, two ages, if you will. The first age is creatively called this present age, and it was the age of sin and death and injustice and oppression. And they also longed for an age called the age to come. Uh, That was the Messianic age. It was characterized by the coming of Messiah. And we're going to look at different attributes attributed to that age. And and that these two ages were going to proceed in a linear fashion, uh, only interrupted by something called the day of the Lord. So you'll read in the Old Testament, and, and it, th- these aren't all references to the day of the Lord, but you'll, you'll read things like, at that day, or on that day, or in those days. Right. Um, so the idea is, it was very linear. You would have this present age that would come to a cataclysmic end on the day of the Lord. And, and in the end of the present age, there would be the launch of the new age. Okay? And that age was called the age to come. So it was to proceed linearly. The age, uh, this present age would go until the day of the Lord, the class, cataclysmic, cataclysmic end. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And, and, the, and the simultaneous launch of the age to come. So one and, linear line that goes, hits a yeah. wall, there's the day of the Lord, and then a new line begins. Correct. Of chronological time. Yeah, Absolutely. And, um, and in fact, Paul, both Paul and Jesus use this language. So in Mark, uh, Jesus will say, truly, I tell you, no one who has left their home or their brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age 
homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. So eternal life was life in the age to come, was the understanding. Yeah. Or uh, Paul in Ephesians will say the power that, uh, that power that raised Jesus from the dead, or that God has exercised, is the same power as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So this was a very common understanding of how history was working. This yeah. present age was characterized by the injustice and persecution of God's people, of other wills being done on earth besides God's, um, of the reign and, and uh, rulership of sin, death, and flesh, right? All the things that we're familiar with of, of human life characterized uh, this present age. Now, the day of the Lord is an interesting picture because there, there are times the day of the Lord seems to be associated with the return from exile, there are other times the day of the Lord seems to be associated with the return of Yahweh to Zion. Um, and, and, but there is some cataclysmic day coming. Um, so like, for instance, here's Zechariah uh, 14. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be gathered, will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Half of the city will go into exile. The rest of the people will not be taken from the city. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. Like, I don't know what's being referenced here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then, my Lord, then the Lord my God will come and the holy ones with him. On that day, there will neither be sunlight nor cold, frosty. Oh, excuse me. On that day, there will ne neither be <laughs> English. <laughs> On that day. There will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day only known to the Lord. There will be no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, it will still be light. Hmm. On that day, living water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it east to the Dead Sea and half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in summer and in winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. So I have no idea. <laughs> But, but that, you see that kind of imagery associated with whatever totally. the day of the Lord turns out to be. All right? Um, or, or, like, here's a, a Jesus referencing on that day. Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is, who is king in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, yeah. Uh, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive, and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So on that day is the, a reference to that, whatever that day of the Lord turns out to be. Right. Um, 
And so, so again, the idea is you have the uninterrupted flow of this present age until the day of the Lord, and then you have the messianic age, the age to come. Characteristics of the age to come. All right, we're going to go over these, and it's super important we understand these for reasons that will become obvious by the end of the podcast. The, the first characteristic I want to mention of the age to come is peace, right? Isaiah 11 talks about um, when creation will be in harmony, the wolf will, will lie down with the lamb, children will play near the cobra's nest. Um, in Isaiah 2, the prophet talks about you know weapons of war being beaten into plowshares and weapons of farming. Um, Isaiah 25, God will wipe away every tear, right? Obviously, those things have not happened yet. So we get this image of an age that's coming that's characterized by shalom. It's also characterized by a new covenant. Um, and, and here we're, we're into Jeremiah. Um, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and no one will say to one another, um, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. All right, so an age is coming that is characterized by forgiveness and the knowledge of the Lord. All right, um, uh, another huge part of this, and we could look at lots of different texts, but uh, the idea was resurrection. This is, this is uh, pervasive in Daniel. Um, we also see it referenced in the Mary and Martha story when their brother Lazarus dies. Uh, Martha... Um, says to Jesus, or is it Mary? Uh, I think it's Martha who says to Jesus, you know, when Jesus says your brother will rise again, he's like, yeah, I, I know. She's like, I know he'll rise again at the day of resurrection, which yeah. was associated with the age to come. The age to come was resurrection. You also have like Isaiah 26, but your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And so you've got an age to come that's characterized by resurrection, a peace, a new covenant, uh, and by the Holy Spirit. All right? So you, those are the four big, big, big pieces of the age to come. Peace. Right, say those again. Peace. Peace. New covenant, right, which includes forgiveness of sins. Resurrection, the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit is referenced in a couple of different places. The, one of the most famous is in Joel chapter 2. This is a passage that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. Afterward, I will pour my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Um, in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the, the age to come is an age of shalom. 
The age to come is an age of resurrection, of new covenant with the forgiveness of sins, and um, the age to come is characterized by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. All right? Yeah. Now, when Jesus arrives on the scene with that background, Jesus proclaims the kingdom is here. And so the kingdom, as we've talked about the kingdom, the kingdom was synonymous with the age to come. All right? So Jesus is announcing the arrival of the kingdom. Now, this image is from Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, where Nebuchadnezzar has visions of like statues that represent different kingdoms being built. Right. And then a big rock is hewn out of a mountainside and destroys them. And, and Daniel interprets that dream and says, God will establish, the God of heaven and earth will establish a kingdom that will destroy all, the, all of those others and will never itself be destroyed. Can we just and, take a moment to, to realize that one of the ways that God communicates is through really confusing visions that someone has to, like, there's two statues and then a giant rock is thrown at it and destroys them. And I love it. I All, all of this is, has so much mystery to it. I kept, while you're going through all that, I was like, man, if pastors were more like explorers and were like, hey, mm, mm. I, we're going to keep journeying into the dark on this and, and kind of parsing through the wonder and the mystery and figuring, because it, it just seems like the mystery is such a huge piece of the puzzle for all mm. of this. And we try to boast so much confidence and knowledge, but it's like, this is just so weird and mysterious. And yeah, yeah. that's on. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. rock breaks the things. Let me tell you what that means, because you guys have no idea. <laughs> yes. Yes, but that that idea is that that's the kingdom. That's the age yeah. to come. That's, I mean, all all of this is loaded into that phrase. I just love totally. it, right? So Jesus starts yeah. proclaiming, "Hey, the time, the time has come." Well, what time? What yeah. time? Well, the only time that they were looking forward to was the Messiah right. time. So you're saying the Old Testament's important to understand Jesus? <laughs> Yet again, yes. <laughs> so the time has come. What time? Messiah time, baby. What, what time is it? Messiah time. That's right. Absolutely. And so, so Jesus begins proclaiming the presence, the current presence of the kingdom. So he'll say things like um, Luke 11, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, which is a reference to the Exodus, then the kingdom of God has come upon you right now. It's presently mm. here. Or Luke 17, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that could be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or in Matthew uh, 21, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering presently the kingdom of God ahead of you. Hmm. Or in Luke 10, hey, disciples, go tell people, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is nearby. Right? So the kingdom for Jesus was present. What And what is the kingdom? It's the inauguration of the Messianic age. Yeah. The age that's characterized by new covenant, resurrection, Holy Spirit, peace. But Jesus, confusingly <laughs> and simultaneously, talks about the kingdom as something that's still in the future. Yes, he 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 uses and and I, I we could pull from almost all the parables. Um, in those days, the kingdom will be like when you see the Son of Man appear in His glorious throne, 
And he speaks of something happening in the future. Now, some think those are references to the destruction of Jerusalem. And I happen to side with a lot of those um, interpretations of what's called the little apocalypse in Matthew and Mark. Um, Just a little one. Well, yeah, they're not, they're not revelation size. Right. Uh, is the idea. But, and even in other places, um, Jesus will talk about the kingdom being future. So he's interpreting the parable of the wheat and, he, and weeds, and he says, the weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. Okay? Or in Matthew 19, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, with the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay. Or, or how about <laughs> this one? While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear all at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king. So he sent 10 of his servants um, and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work until I come back. Right? So he tells them a parable because they thought it was going to appear all at once. So right. confusing. <laughs> or in Acts. Right? They literally look at Jesus and go, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel right now? And he's like, You're, it's not for you to know. Um, dates and times the Father has set by his own authority. So we have in the teaching of Jesus, um, the, the kingdom is here, the messianic age is here, it's breaking out right among us, and it's still coming. Yeah. And that is so, to your point, so confusing. Um, and so when the following things begin to happen. Jesus celebrates a meal with his followers and says, this is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, well, that's a sure sign of the age to come. And when the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost and Peter himself looks at the Joel prophecy and says, this is happening right now. Yeah. Or when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, one dude, but resurrection has happened. The conclusion the early church was forced into is the idea that the kingdom has come and is still coming. Because yeah. what had happened is the day of the Lord had come, at least we thought, here's the Messiah coming back to the temple, here's resurrection, Holy Spirit, new covenant, but there's no peace. Right. Rome is still in power. The power and principalities are still oppressing. Sin, death, and flesh are still at work in the world. I mean, this made zero, zero sense to the timeline. Yeah. And instead, what happened is instead of a linear line that the age to come terminates in the day of the Lord and then a new age begins directly after it, you have for a time parallel lines where you have the age to come um, and then Jesus shows up in the middle of the present age, bringing with him the, the first fruits of the age to come. But both lines exist in parallel now until this great day of judgment, when the age to come is finally put to death and the messianic line carries on. 
So we now live in the middle of parallel lines, one representing the age to come that is broken out in this present age, and the other one uh, expressing the continuation of this present age, that, that it, the world <laughs> is still working the way the world seems to work. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so, so the question, and that is why you get all of this fascinating language particularly in Paul, and this is why the apocalyptic worldview, this is what the apocalyptic view captures that other retellings of the Pauline story of salvation miss, is the intersection of ages. Because Paul will literally say to people, to, to the church, upon you, the fulfillment of the ages has come. Right? So he he's looking at the first coming of Jesus saying, Jesus came at just the right time. The kingdom project has been definitively launched. The new creation is here, right in the middle of old creation. And so theologians will often talk about the already but not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. That The kingdom of God is here, but it's not come in all of its fullness because other wills are still being done. And cobras, as far as I know, are not playing nicely with children. <laughs> and Don't so, that theory. so they're so they're unmistakable. So instead of instead of um, and and some there were some Jews of the era I've read who believed that two messiahs would come: a priestly messiah and a royal, kingly, military mm -hmm. messiah. But what we have instead is one messiah coming twice and inaugurating the age to come in the middle of this present age but but we're still awaiting its fulfillment and so we live in this weird space where our, our salvation has already been accomplished the powers have been defeated so we have been saved and yet sin flesh and death still reign and i am apt into all sorts of old creation patterns in thinking and believing and living and so I am currently being saved. And then there will come a time when every tear will be wiped away and new creation will be restored uh, universe-wide. And so in that day, I will be saved, right? It's, it's happening. It's a story of time. Yeah. And so salvation has been accomplished, right? Paul will say, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has arrived. We're not waiting for it, but this St. Paul will also say, hey, the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Right? So you've been given the Holy Spirit, but there's more coming. I don't know right. if that means more spirit or more salvation or what. Right? Paul will say he has made us alive in Christ and currently seated us at the right hand of the Father. And then he will also say in Philippians, we eagerly await a savior from there because our citizenship is in heaven who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Right? Or Paul will say, Jesus, his resurrection is the first fruits of the resurrection into new creation that will happen to all of us. So we live... As the old, and Paul will say this in another place, he will say, the old age is coming to nothing. It is passing away. Now, it still has power, as we know, but we are invited to live as new creation people um, in the midst of old creation. 
And so Paul will say, like I've said in, in 1 Corinthians 10, we are people on whom the culmination of the ages has have come. Or in 1 Corinthians 7, um, uh, for this world in its present form is passing away. And so we get this beautiful story of time. The time has come, opportune time. The kind of time when, when my wife, my pregnant wife says, honey, it's time. That time, Jesus said to his listeners, is here. It's a story of space, but it's a story of time. Well, what time? The messianic time. Yeah, but we thought messianic time was going to end the old time, the present time. And Jesus is like, nope. The kingdom is here if I'm delivering you from demons. If you see the spirit and the resurrection, the kingdom's here. The age to come has been birthed, but it's been birthed in the middle of the old age instead of at the end of it. (laughs) And so we live in this intersection of two ages. And that's why Paul will say things like, hey, your old self is dead, so kill it. Right? It's dead, but you need to put it to death. You can only make sense of that statement if you're dealing with the past, present, and future realities of salvation. Yeah, and if you try to quantify that statement, Paul's statement, through these overlapping parallel lines, that putting to death of the old self is so much more than just being like, that was me then, this is me now. It's a continual... It's a continual process during this in-between time. I would think like it's very discouraging to, because isn't that what people wrestle with the most is like, hey, I, I prayed this prayer. I did this thing. I put on this new self. I feel like my old self. Right. I'm still like, I still struggle with this, right? I still feel this way or, you know, my, my f- family member is sick. Like mm-hmm. all these old creation dynamics that still have their, claws in us Mm -hmm. that putting to death with the old self is so much more than just i was this way now i've decided to be this way absolutely it's a new mode it's a new mode of being human yeah and it's not just it's not just stopping sinning because when you think about how upset many jews were that this timeline didn't just end and the way that they expected it and where the confusion came in that and where anger or spite may have come in that where it's like, hey, this was supposed to be this, but it's yeah. not, it's this. But we see, is it a matter of like, we're A, we're temporal beings, we live on a chronological timeline, but we're being asked not to focus on the way that we understand reality. Is part of it just like, hey, this was a priestly, kingly... um vocation and place that we were supposed to inhabit and now you're being asked to re-inhabit that but that's not just a decision that's a you're inhabiting a new mode of living yeah yeah that involves a different way of looking at time yes exactly so we have a very we're bound to this forward trajectory timeline because that's what we understand and exist upon right but we're being asked to look at this differently, correct. which is hard. <laughs> oh, right, because we only understand one mode of yeah, but, one mode but, of existing. So, but the American the American understanding of time involves many different 
facets, right? One is progress is inevitable. The longer we go, the more sovereignty we'll have over the world right. and ourselves, right? It Manifest just, destiny. Yeah, whatever. Um, we're also told that time is short, um, that you can't buy time, um, that the most important commodity you have is time, and yeah. that when you're dead, your time is up. Yeah. And so they're buried, are buried into that are massively significant ramifications for how you understand self, vocation, life, family, whatever else. Um, on a on a different reckoning of time, or or you because we were you know in the grunge era, and um, yeah. many of many of our rock stars have killed themselves. There is yeah. a nihilistic or nihilistic view of time that just simply says it's the same old cycles over and over again. Yes. And there is no point. It's not heading anywhere other than just we enjoy, we have to suck the life out of our 60, 80 years because we only get one shot. And the, and the, you know, the Christian view of time is, no, no, that's not, that's not how time works. Like those time, are all very self-focused. Ab well, absolutely. Think those, about it. Think yeah. about it. In the garden, time was a gift, right? We, I mean, the celestial bodies, whether they were considered spiritual beings or not, they were given to mark time, to celebrate time. Time was a gift. The tree of life ensured that they, didn't, they weren't enslaved to time. They had, quote, all the time in the world. Yeah, what right? do you mean time is a gift in there? Huh? Can you, can you go a little bit more on that? Time is a gift yeah. in the garden? Yeah, suppose... All right, think about the things that you enjoy where you lose all track of time. Yes. Right? And imagine having nothing but those kinds of things to do um, and to experience. Like, yeah. we only know time is a curse. <laughs> Getting older yeah. is bad, right? We only know time is a curse. We are slave to our clocks. We have appointments we have to make. And, and, and I understand that's part of how we have to function as humans. I mean, even in our original state, time existed and, was, and marking it was necessary. But now time is a curse because every moment that goes by is a moment you're closer to death, right? So yeah. time, we're now enslaved to time in ways we weren't previously. Time has now become a curse. And so we just feel, we feel this frantic urgency that we're missing out on things or we've got to jam all of life into a certain amount yeah. of time. And it creates in us just all sorts of existential dread. Um, counting, you know, I mean, birthdays are no longer joyful activities. Uh, once you hit a certain number, now they're, they're, they're things to sort of be mourned that I've, I'm now old. Um, and old has become synonymous with sort of worthless and devalued and whatever else. I mean, so we're, we're enslaved to time. The Christian view of time liberates us, if we actually believe the thing, liberates us to believe that our physical e existence now is part of the old age that is passing away. And there's another age coming where time will be a, a gift again. And mm. our bodies don't age the way they do. Because, I mean, that's part of re the reason death, um, you know, death, part of the way death manifests itself is the deterioration of our physical bodies. Right. Right? The tyranny of that. It's not just that you die, but if you're fortunate enough to live to an old age, you see it coming. You die little yeah. deaths all the time. Right? I used to be able to do this. I can't do that anymore. I used to be able to remember right. this. I can't remember that anymore. 
right? <laughs> so you're dying these little deaths in anticipation of the big one. I mean, that what a cosmic form of enslavement. There's no joy yeah. in that, right? Aging is now something to be fought against and something to be afraid of and something to not be admitted. And, um, and hence the worship of youth culture and, you know, all the things that, so, so time is liberated so that for, for Christians, old age and, you know, death itself is still an enemy. There's no question. We're not, we're never meant to undergo this separation from the people that we love. Um, but, but the liberation of Jesus is the liberation of time so that we can live and th that's why paul will, will say though outwardly we are wasting away inwardly we're being renewed day by day that's time that's the intersection of time operating in our bodies yeah it is all really this is like the stuff that makes your brain turn into oatmeal because it's all like you would imagine the that jewish understanding in our and our way of framing things and understanding them, that was the best version. Yeah. God shows up and just renews everything or whatever, and then it's just yep. like, okay, we're done. Yep. But instead, we get this version, and I'm not questioning God's motive, but I think that is a big question that is like, why this? Right. Like, how was this the best model to put forth where we, even though Jesus has come, we're still in a continual cycle of suffering? You know, also right. this weird thought that just popped in my head was if there wasn't a fall and this trajectory was not set off for whatever, however you want to frame that or phrase that. Like how would this gift of generations mm. would like, who knows what the, what the opposite of that would have been or the right. You know, I have no idea. I don't know if I would exist or I would assume that I would, but I'm here because of a generational turnover that's been going on for yeah. thousands of years. I don't know. It's just, a, it, it brings all these weird things in your head to try to wrestle around with. <laughs> if everything but, had gone according to plan, would I even exist? I don't even know. <laughs> well, yeah. According to some, you were a soul in heaven, just awaiting a body. So totally. But instead, this is the, this is the trajectory that we've been given. And I, yeah. as, as broken down as it is in some ways, it's still, I don't know. My brain feels doughy. It looks doughy too. Let me just from yeah. this uh, from this angle. Time so, is a roll. Yes, so some of our I'm best. Trying not to say ex I'm trying not to use expletives right now. I know, I know exactly <laughs> where you were going, and I'm trying to come to your rescue to say that's why some of our best science fiction, like Tenet yes, or Terminator, totally. um, deals with time travel. Right? The, even yeah. the Avengers, the Quantum yep. Realm. That's right. Giddy up. So, um, I mean, think about how much we regret the past or worry about the future. I mean, we are enslaved yes. to time. Yes. Oh, so good. But it's a key feature of humanity. So it's like, again, it's one of those things where it's like, we are in this. I don't know. It's, <laughs> God's ways are not my ways. I don't understand that's, it. It's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and we're grateful for that. Yes. Um, so let me, let me talk about why this understanding of time is so important yes. in 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 practical terms um one of the one of the things um 
that I've always sort of wrestled with is, well, you know, why do some people get healed supposedly and right. others don't? Yes, absolutely. Why do some prayers get answered, but others don't? Why are we new creations yet we struggle with the old creation behavior? Why is the church this glorious new creation body of Jesus yet so frail and petty? Um, and, and the answer is because it's all now and not yet that we celebrate because the kingdom has come now, but we lament because the kingdom hasn't fully come, right? There isn't. I mean, I've had, I've had Jewish scholars tell me the reason they cannot believe that Jesus is the Christ is because there is no peace on earth. Yeah. You know, and that's why that's, that. huh? I get that. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's why the, the, the overlap of the ages is why we resist the depressed spirituality of certain Christians that is just everything's, everything's in the future, nothing good's happening now, blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we also resist simultaneously the prosperity um, gospel of who are like, hey, man, it's all blessing. No more, no more sorrow, no more suffering. Nope, we don't. We avoid triumphalism and we avoid, we avoid despair. What's that? I know those songs. Yes. Right? <laughs> I mean, because if, because it, certain spiritualities overemphasize, well, it's all here, so we we'll name it and claim it. And other spiritualities emphasize it's all coming. And so none of that miraculous stuff happens today. We're all waiting for it. Yeah. Um, and you're like, nope, I think all of it's true. All of it's yeah. true. The, the spiritual gifts are today, but they're also opposed by real powers and principalities. Um, so we escape triumphalism. We escape defeatism. We are, that's the reason we're charged to engage with the world is that it, we, we still have work to do. There is still participation afoot. The kingdom has come. And yet we resist the idea that we ourselves can build the kingdom um, or that somehow progress will magically deliver us from the evils of this age because we realize, no, 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 only, only the day of cataclysm will, you know, put, declare the old world null and void. So all of that is to say, understanding the Christian life in the intersection of the ages puts us, gives us a way to understand the conflicting pieces of the Christian experience. Right, that I am simultaneously saint and sinner. Well, how's that work? Well, I'm a new creation. I mean, so like I, I remember, I um, I was leading a Bible study for guys who had never opened a Bible ever, and so the first Bible study was I bought them all study Bibles and we went over the table of contents. It was the most fun I've ever had, and. Um, just like, well, why are the why are the letters called these things, and why are there two testaments, and all the stuff? And one of the guys asked a great question. He said, um, "He said I'm really feeling guilty about some behavior, and I don't know what to do with that." And I said, "Well, did you used to feel guilty before?" And he said, "No." I said, "So, so what conclusion do you draw from the fact that something you never gave a second thought to now you're pausing and thinking about, right? And and the, the conclusion isn't we've now introduced 
you know, a guilty conscience into him and, right. you know, we, we're focusing on sin management. <laughs> I gave you shame. Congratulations. Yes, the gift of God. <laughs> um, but rather instead, it was the idea that like there are two things that are at kind of in conflict. Um, yeah. And, oh, okay. So so the the invitation of Paul, particularly in Ephesians, is put off the old self, put on the new self. He's just talking about becoming fully human in the new creation space procured by Jesus. Yeah, and then what does that mean? So you and I both re-listened to that conversation you had with Gombas a year or two ago on why Jesus had to die. And part of that conversation was you guys use pornography as the mm-hmm. example for um, a kind of wrath and judgment, right? Like being caught in that cycle. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but then the, not just that, but the larger cosmic um, implications that something like pornography has the enslavement of women, the abuse right. of women, totally. all that kind of stuff that you are choosing into. You're and giving energy does, to. Yeah. You're giving energy. You're yeah. You're perpetuating that old creation cycle and right. dynamic. Right. participating in it, you can right. get caught in it. It does turn into an addiction, a physical need to be yep. enticed and entertained in that way. And you guys kind of had a conversation about choosing out of that, choosing or, and choosing into new creation habits Modes and dynamics That's yeah, right. that will help to weed out and push away Correct. these old creation dynamics. And so you see that within this time period, right? Like a continual... Yep. Uh, just and so it, and, and that is us. I'm at, this is a question. I think that is us choosing into the vocation of Correct. priestly, kingly. That's right. Habitations. We and so we're. So when I think about the the email from the beginning of this conversation about like the suicide rates in Japan and stuff, like the is the miracle the miraculous sign of new creation is that living amongst people and loving them in a way that they feel loved and seen and they then they choose out of or you're helping to love people out of despair is that mm-hmm. like the oh miracle? my goodness does that make sense though like it's yeah there is this work in this time whether or not we understand why god has chosen this overlap time period Right. which I, I struggle with. And I know a lot of people struggle with why, why just you know, like, just clean it all up, man. Like <laughs> right. hit the, re, hit the reset button or whatever. But, and that, and that would work if God were growing things other than fully human persons. Exactly. So that seems to be a key piece of this whole, of everything that our growth and development and participation and our choosing all those kind of things of inhabiting those modes of new creation, that's important. Well, it's the only thing God does. I mean, when the Adam and Eve Eden project went sideways, what did he do? Well, Genesis 12, what's he do? He calls more humans. Right. And and forms them into, into more humans. And then what does Jesus do when he shows up? The same. He gathers humans. Yeah. Forms them. This is the only way it happens. And that opens up things too, because you talk, like how did someone framed it? Like the failed projects of, did God have failed projects that he, or is this the way that? Yes. Yes. That's Genesis 6. Right. That he, that the image bearers became corrupted. 
Yeah. So of course he grieved, but it's not failed um, ultimately because God wins in the end. But how does God win? By forming a human community that images him again in, um, for the sake of creation and for the sake of all the other image bearers that are imaging other things. Which is also interesting to think about the power over, you know, I've, right. I've, I think I brought this up a few times, but it really seems that one of the things that God rails against is us exerting power over one another. And then yes. you think about these entities that exist, death, destruction, sin, whatever, if they are these spiritual entities, their main goal is exerting power over Right. So it's interesting to see a human project that usurps that by yes, choosing the latter, which is what Jesus did. Look at that. There's a red bow. Bam. Happy Easter. <laughs> well, Happy I Easter mean, peace. And and to your to your question, do do people, do image bearers need to move to places where um there is much despair? and embody um, communal practices that declare the new age has arrived in Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Our whole objection has just been the arbitrariness or the falseness or the, you know, I mean, if, if I'm going to move to Japan, uh, study at a Japanese university, um, become skilled in, in, a, in, a, in a way of bringing shalom in a corner of Japan and in so doing, see people and love them and yeah. um, declare both in word and deed that they are, they are image bearers themselves and can be part of new humanity. Hallelujah. Yeah. I'd never argue with that. That's what Jesus yeah. did with us, right? I mean, that, his incarnation is the model for how this works. Yeah. I just, I, I guess I wouldn't call that missions anymore. Right. I would just call that the, a natural mode of human life. Yeah. That's what it means what to image God. To. Yes. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter if I'm in Japan, although I think people can go there. But this is, what, this is how I'm to live in my neighborhood. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, and that's really hard. Yes. Because, Yeah. Well, you're choosing, you're choosing the, you're choosing the community, not you. In any of those instances, you are choosing the yeah. community that's not you. Which is hard with our understanding of time and progress and success and. Yep, happiness, happiness yep. fits into that. Yeah. So no, man, it is it is a web of malice. <laughs> and deception and destruction that we're all part totally. of and all contribute to. And when you start waking up like that guy at the Bible, so he, that, that's all he was doing was just waking up. Yeah, it's, and it's then you start so... that whole process of like your pornography thing with Gombas, like the, just this, it's not just choosing one time, it's this, choosing those modes of new creation is such a lar it's such a inhabited process. Right. Well, yes, and you don't a, even know. I mean, how long has it taken us to even wake up to that way of thinking? All of my life, and I feel like I'm not always, I'm not there yet. Yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. 
But that seems to be part of the puzzle. That's the thing I keep coming back to in all this is like, A, the mystery is part of it. It yes. has to be. This has of to be course. a key function. Why did Jesus always do parables? He wanted to incite the imagination. Why was that important? I don't know, but it seems to be that it was very important. Right. And all these different genres of literature in which this story is being told to us, that seems to be important. Our imaginations and that kind of function of the human element seems to be very important. But also the process of this and the tenacity that it takes and all that kind of stuff seems to also be part of that's right puzzle because what's his goal this simple thing what is god's goal from the first page to the last page what is his goal image bearers a community of image bearers (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah and and as part of being image bearer you have to choose what you image you cannot be an image bearer any other way yeah there's the and then there's just so much obviously because it took us five weeks just to do one word I know it's glorious. Although the other words won't take the other words won't take as long. Well, saved's a big one. Yeah, that's why we started there. All right, so I just want to end with this and put a little capstone on saved. Capstone. All right. So if you listen to all five or six episodes around saved, regardless of whether or not you agree, totally cool if you don't. I would. But it'd be cooler if you did. Well. I would. I wish for you and I that we would be skeptical of any theology that separates us from our bodies. Mm. I, I, I hope us to be skeptical of any theology that is escapist from this world. I want us to be skeptical of any theology that privatizes the way of Jesus. I want us to be skeptical of any theology that overemphasizes the now or the not yet. And I want us to be skeptical of any theology that pretends either that wrath um, doesn't exist or that wrath is God's nature toward us, but Jesus took it upon himself. Like the, the judgment, that is a central theme of the Bible that image bearers bear in themselves the penalty for their non-image bearing. Sometimes that seems, uh, or the Bible presents it as as if God is doing something. The wrath is of God or from God. And then other times the wrath is presented as its own force or the particles of the atmosphere that we breathe outside of the being saved community. But regardless, it's more complex than just the simple heaven, hell, believe story. And we should be very, very uh, skeptical of um, theologies that emphasize the heaven and hell part of that story to the neglect of what it means to be a full human and the experience of eternal life or hell now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I got. It's a lot. That's what I got, Timothy. So Saved is a story of time and a story of space. And on the kingdom telling, Saved is a story of kingdoms that are represented both by ages and powers. Yeah. And, um, and we're constantly, you know, salvation is deliverance from enslaved space to liberated space. But then there's this sense that we're still choosing between them. 
as we become part of this community um, and can engage in old sin, death, flesh, wrath dynamics, or can engage in new creation dynamics. And so the invitation is to be to take upon ourselves that royal priestly vocation called worship, that mode of life called worship that leads to life. Um, and there is no end to how far we can push into that, right? Yeah. It's, there's never an arrival point. There's always room to grow. Which always room to grow. Yeah. All right, friends. Well, you did it. You made it. <laughs> it's over. You guys are awesome. Part one is over. Word one. Word one. Check. Word one, part five. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, seriously. That's so crazy. But anyway, what a great honor both Tim and I feel and experience to be a small part of your life. Thank you for all the thoughtful engagement and pushback. Uh, we're very humbled and grateful to be able to do this. So thanks. Till next time, friends. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.